All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoyas basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined again, which is becoming a pretty regular thing, with Howie Wachtel and John Hawks. You can find John at Florida Hoya on Twitter, a great resource, and you can find Howie on Casual Hoya as New York Hoya. Guys, what's up? What's up, Bobby? You can't get rid of us, dude. I mean, it's a pandemic. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So, so, oh. got, so guys, we were originally going to get together, and we've got some pretty good games to go over from the madness and the sadness brackets, but we would be burying the lead if we did not talk about what happened to Georgetown today. Georgetown got its sixth new commitment for the upcoming season, assuming that there is one. Chudier Bile from junior college then he was at bradley lasted about three months and he was most recently a second team all southland player at northwestern state um he's a six seven forward 14.7 rebounds and shot pretty well from three about 38 percent. and he took a decent amount of threes last year he is like i said the sixth guy to round out this class and he provides a position of need in a one-year situation at the forward position. Last year, Georgetown played most of the season with only one forward. That was Jamarco Pickett. Guys, what do you think? Um, so, first of all, I, I was curious. So I looked up the uh, the Northwestern State Media Guy just to get the clarity on the pronunciation of the first name. Actually, both names, the first name and the last name. Okay. Um, so it turns out it's not Choudier, like rhymes with Dave Coulier. Um, anybody want to hazard a guess? Well, I actually, I actually watched a YouTube interview, and the guy that announced him said that, but he could have been wrong. I, it's also very possible a Southland media guide is not fully accurate, <laughs> but I think on this particular point, they probably have it right. Apparently, it's Judy, like rhymes with Judy. Okay. So who knew? So the R. I believe silent. you. Yeah. Um. As far as what his likely contribution is, I mean, this is this is interesting. Like, this is another case where um, it's almost it follows almost exactly the pattern of how Dante Harris came to be as a, a Georgetown commit, right? It was in the immediate aftermath of Georgetown losing a recruit that you know your mileage may vary on how much of a chance Georgetown actually had losing a recruit. Yeah, losing Carolina, seems then, like a pretty pretty uh, a pretty uh, nice way of saying it. I feel like in this particular case today, we, we finished a solid fifth. Um, yeah. just, you know, if, that's, if we finished a solid fifth in the conference, that'd be amazing. Um, but uh, so this one felt like, again, it's a weird pattern. Like, and it, it's, it's interesting, this pattern of, you know, for this class in particular, this is at least the third and possibly the fourth out of the six recruits where their commitment, I don't want to say was a total surprise, but just between all of the, not, again, not that I'm a huge, you know, follower of recruiting news, but between all the different accounts that tweet about recruiting news, between all the fans that do research and throw things out there on message boards, this guy, you know, Chudy was completely off the radar. And it's probably the third or fourth time out of the six recruits that's been the case. It was certainly the case with Dante Harris. Um, I would argue it's probably significantly the case with Jalen Harris as well. And to a certain extent, I don't really remember that much about Kobe Clark either before his commitment. Um, and I don't know and I'll throw it out to you. I don't know what that means exactly. Um, if that's just a random thing, if that's a sign of 
you know, there's that saying, right, the staff moves in silence. Are we just, you know, that stealthy on the recruiting trail? Or are we just going after lower ranked guys that, you know, the average recruiting guru is not going to kick up much of a fuss about? I don't know. What do you think, Howie? I mean, I'm still intrigued by this Chudy. I mean, are they going to be, are we going to start with like Chudy, Chudy? <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's, that's just assuming he plays. Look, I, I my, my take <laughs> on this is, is, is just, uh, unfortunately, based on what little information we have is you look at the guy's picture, you look at his position, you look at what he did at Northwestern State, and that's kind of all I have to go by on this. Um, well, you look at the I edit, mean, too. It's important to look at the edit when he recruits, right? What's the quality of the airbrushing? What's the quality of the jersey on jersey? I think it was Jacob Mosley's jersey. It's teal. That's something. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was pretty impressed it was title blue that he chose. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I can't I can't say I'm upset based on those three things. Uh, you know, I kind of, he's he's six 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 seven, so it's a position of need. We have all all we have right now is Jamarco Pickett and Jamari Sibley. Now we have a third guy who can play the wing. Um, he 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 looks fine, and I'm basing this solely on physical appearance since we have nothing else to go by. Um, he looks like he gets after it. I don't even know what that means, um, but it's <laughs> sort of like the same way. It's like the same way I reacted to. We just had the NFL draft a few days ago. It's hilarious how much we look into like the three or four pieces of information we have on some of these third and fourth round pet players where it's, you look at the couple of highlights they show, you look at the one or two things that, uh, you know, Lewis Riddick or Mel Kuyper Jr. Say, and you just look at the way the guy looks and what your team needs. And all of a sudden you've, you've made up your mind about the success <laughs> of this person's career. And it's, right. it's, it's ridiculous, but in some respects, in this case, with the guy who was what ranked 35th of all possible grad transfers, we know very little about him at all. I got nothing. I got nothing here. But if we were going to fill one slot, this is probably the position we needed. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sort of like the first thing. The first thing that I, I consistently saw from fans as they were reacting to this was, well, you know, he fills a position of need, which isn't wrong, right? I mean, a, a guy who's right. six seven, right? That's probably if you were to, you know, lay out the roster, that's probably the position that we were the thinnest at in terms of guys that could realistically contribute there really wasn't a way to square like who's who's a power forward in this like are you gonna play picket at the four and you can that's fine but you know so that, that, in that regard makes a little bit of sense but it's the question okay yes he, he fills a position of need does he fulfill a talent you know from a talent standpoint a a need for us right um you know that you know second string wide receiver from central connecticut state fulfill the need right but so does julio jones Right. So, yeah, that, that I think so. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you guys have just said. Particularly curious as to what's going to be um, chanted from the student section, like Howie mentioned. <laughs> but when you're grabbing a guy this late in the game, I think if you are looking at Georgetown's long term success, I think it's better to be grabbing a grad transfer that fits this mold rather than a freshman, right? Rather than incoming 100%, 100%, freshman. 100% right. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, so look, we don't know the competition in the Southland. Um, Northwestern State, well, I, I'm sorry. We do know the competition in the Southland. We don't know what Northwestern State was really like. They were one of the teams that won their last game because their conference tournament did not continue. Um, they won their last game. They did not 
go on uh tw- they did not surrender a 23 nothing run to end their season <laughs> so they ended up 15 and 15 they can say that they had a non-losing season down in uh wherever in louisiana this this happens to be they beat one two three four non-d1s i want to say they beat someone named champion christian i have not heard of that one yet uh you know, if he was on the team last season, once all the transfers happened, I think he would have played a ton. There really wasn't, I mean, there was just, you know, Jamarco and four guards a lot of the time. I think some people were asking me, you know, is this guy a starter? So if we want to do that exercise, I think we can go into the Omar, or I'm sorry, Omir Yurtseven's not coming back. A lot of people seem to be clinging to this for some reason. I do not know why. On Instagram, <laughs> he said a very nice goodbye to everybody. Okay. <laughs> Um, and look, look, well, look, it's actually right before. So we're taping this. This is it's like nine something on, on Monday night here. Yeah. Like two minutes before I came on to, to tape this. He actually, I think Rothstein or the Rothstein bot. I'm still not convinced John Rothstein's a real person. Yeah. Um, but I uh, had said that Omer had like officially told him like, yeah, I'm gone. I'm declaring for the draft, which again, like you said, duh. Yeah. So, so obviously when you're talking about who's going to be there. So Cutis is starting. He's starting, right? Okay. Pickett is starting. Okay. He's starting. If McClung comes back and is healthy, he's starting. Okay. I don't think you can afford to start Blair and McClung together. Do I have any agreement on that? That's correct. You're probably right. Yeah. It seems, it would seem odd. It just doesn't, there's, there's not enough basketballs. Just, there's just not enough basketballs. Like, it just it just doesn't make sense. It would, it would seem odd if we hadn't just done it this season to bring in a grad transfer guard from a relatively major, Arkansas is a major conference program, as is, I would call UCF, at least that version right. of UCF, too. So we've, so we've got a grad transfer guard, not start them. Right. So we've got, we've got Harris and either McClung or Blair, whichever one. If McClung stays, it's McClung. If, it's, if he leaves, it's Blair. So Harris, we have the guard spot. You've got, Pickett and Wahab, and there's one spot left, right? It could be this guy. I don't know. I'm, I'd be lying if I said I've I've seen him play. He certainly fits the, um, the resume of someone that could vie for that position, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you know somebody somebody online you know made the comparison to I think partly because of body type and to some degree skill set, even location to to Galen Alexander, and I think honestly if if the ceiling, and this is a you know graduate year guy, if the ceiling for Bile is the contribution you probably would have gotten from Galen Alexander this season had he stuck around. Oh, you take that. Probably, that you take that in a second. Yeah, I don't know if it's a starter level contribution. It probably doesn't have to be, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's also I gotta I gotta confess too, and we've talked about this you know previously. It's still hard on a couple levels to wrap your mind about what this season's gonna be. I mean, part of that has to do with the obvious you know, global situation with COVID-19. Is there even going to be a normal season? Um, but just on a more Georgetown-specific level, we've kind of talked about this season feeling like it's kind of a throwaway. Like, I don't want to use that dire of a term, but it kind of is like Ewing's first season in a way. So, you know, maybe it's more, more you know, bringing in a couple grad guys just to tide things over for a year and see what you've got with the freshmen who, who can contribute, who can't and try to, you're going to have a lot of openings again in you know, the 2021 class. So 
you know, try to get an early start on that. Maybe that's how you go. I don't know. So, okay. So that's, that's timely to talk about. So right now, Georgetown is set to have on senior day, assuming there is one, you're going to have Pickett and Blair, Harris and Bile out there. So there are going to be four more, four more guys to, to fill going into the following season. And then you're hoping McClung is there and all of a sudden, we could talk about this for a long time. Now, with Omir leaving, we have we have Jeff Goodman throwing his um, throwing his opinion back into the Georgetown ring, and I'm not sure, and I don't know if you guys know either. And I'm I'm legitimately asking because I don't actually follow him. I know he was really big on Georgetown's schedule Ewing's first year, and I'm not gonna lie, I had a big problem with it as well. So we were on this we we're on the same side of that, but this is. This is Jeff Goodman's tweet after the Omir news. This Georgetown roster looks somewhat underwhelming, and it's now year four of the Ewing era. Still searching for an NCAA tournament bid, and Georgetown is a pretty damn good job last time I checked. Okay, so I happen to think it is a really good job, particularly with the location, the history, and the new Thompson Center, which is still kind of new. Um, is this is this a bit that he's doing, or... I'm I'm really not sure. Like, does he not think Georgetown's a good job? No, I don't know. I I actually I don't view that as a sarcasm at all. I think okay. he's saying this is now year four of the Ewing era. Our roster going into next season is a bit underwhelming. We still mm-hmm. haven't made the tournament since 2015. Last time I checked, this was still a pretty good job. So what's what's the problem here? And he's he's you know whether that's whether he's pointing blame at Ewing or or some other reason remains to be seen. But he's not. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not. This is, this is why it's complicated, right? Because this is, first of all, this is the only way this could be more like classic weapons grade Jeff Goodman is if he had like snuck in a way to fillet Chris Mack. Um, so yeah. or give, like try to get Chris Mack a raise. Um, but it's frustrating because you look at on paper, it's like, uh, he, you're, how he's right. He's not wrong in either of the two major statements here, right? That roster is underwhelming and it is a pretty decent job. The problem I have with it is this is like, it's almost bot-like with Jeff Goodman. This is like the same exact point he always makes about Georgetown. He, for like a program that's like not really that high on the radar nationally, like he keeps coming back to this over and over again. Like it's got this weird side interest in Georgetown for some reason. And I, I have a theory. I don't know what his angle is here, like why he keeps mentioning it. I don't think he's being sarcastic, but I don't think he's being entirely transparent as to why it's not just some observation he thought of off the top of his head. He's clearly got a point he's trying to make here. Yeah. So I, just, I just don't know. I, I just don't know if he has like a longstanding disagreement with someone from after JT three got fired as to, you know, I think at that time, a lot of people were had different opinions about the Georgetown job and some people ranked it really high. And some people thought those days were over. And I don't know if he got in a particular argument with like one of the other national guys like Rob Douster or Jeff Brazillo or, you know, I don't know, Matt Norlander. I don't, I'm not sure. If, I, I just don't know what the background is. I'm I'm suspecting that might be it. And maybe one of our listeners can send me a tweet at Bobby Bancroft and let me know because I just I just don't know. I'll be honest. So, I'm not really bothered by by Jeff Goodman, but <laughs> I'm not bothered either. I'm just sort of curious. I find it, I find it, I find it curious. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny in a random way. Like, so Jeff Goodman, of course, somewhat famously, I still have the tweet somewhere because I laugh, I I send it around to our friends and laugh about it occasionally, but like famously, like 
during the coaching search after JT3 got fired, Jeff Goodman's threw out there like Chris Mack for Chris four Mack. million. George apparently we'd offered Chris Mack like four million bucks to come coach Georgetown, which I firmly believe is complete BS. And he was trying I, to get his friend to raise. Because Chris Mack is still at Xavier at the time. This is pre-Louisville. I, I don't think anybody would have hated that though. No, nobody would have hated it, but I have zero point zero percent sense that it's true. Oh yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely not true. Yeah, they're 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 friends outside of they're 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 personal friends too. Uh, but but, so but, but also there was there was also zero chance that he was ever going to come to Georgetown. I mean, at, at that oh, point, sure, Xavier yeah. Xavier Xavier was and you know arguably still is a, a, a better place to pee. And at the time, they had been you know beating us left and right Xavier was also his alma mater I mean it made absolutely no sense for him to come to another private Catholic school and move his family to DC he he ended up taking the Louisville job not only because it was a a great job but also because I think his his wife is from Kentucky and 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 there were other factors but I don't see why he would he would go to Georgetown well I think he had Xavier well, I mean, I totally agree with everything you just said, but wasn't it as simple at the time? I think he might have been making like, and I say only, only like maybe like 1.2 million. And if it was true that you would get 4 million to go somewhere else, I think most people would take that. And I think you can, I, I know Georgetown's, Georgetown's not proving me right at the moment, but I think you can absolutely win here, right? So it's not like you're taking 4 million to go and, you know, try and resurrect some program that doesn't have a recent history. I don't know. When you factor in the cost of living adjustment between Cincinnati and <laughs> right. D.C., it's more like $2 million. <laughs> well, the, point is, <laughs> the point is, there is, this was, it was so transparent and obvious at the time. There was no chance Georgetown was realistically offering you know, Chris Mack $4 million, nor were they even probably interested in Chris Mack's services. It was transparently a national writer who's personal friends with the coach, leveraging a situation to try to get his friend to raise. Like, it's, I guess my friends are talking about this, too. I literally just got a text message from a friend that has the tweet URL in it. So I guess I got that to look forward to. Um, That's going to be good. So here's my theory. Here's my theory on Chris Mack. What, what this thing is with George. I think it's kind of a, like a, a, a new age John Feinstein thing. You mean uh, you remember, Goodman? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Goodman. Um, you know, if you remember in JT3's, during JT3's last season, like in the second half of the year when things are really going downhill, you're starting to see a lot of articles about the program. When Goodman was still at ESPN, he wrote an article about just the, the overall situation at Georgetown, like how awkward it was. Like, oh, yes, I know, I know going. what you're talking about. In yeah. this story, he had quotes from at least, I think it was at least two, possibly three former players that chose to remain anonymous. Yep, you're um, right. I think it was, it might have been one former player who didn't play for JT3 and at least two who did. It was a couple players. And there was some speculation as to who they might have been, theories on who it might have been. Um, my theory is, that he basically got frozen out by Georgetown after he wrote this article. It probably pissed them off that he wrote it. It pissed them off that he got former players to go off the record and go anonymous. Cause that seems like the kind of thing that like in a, in a John Thompson regime, you would never do that to the family. Right. My theory is Georgetown basically froze him out and said, you're never going to get an interview and like go after yourself. And he's basically held a grudge ever since. And so when he does this sort of thing, He's sort of needling Georgetown and saying like, hey, you guys just screwed up the hire. Like your program actually, like, you know, you should be better than this. Like, I think he's doing like a kind of a whiny John Feinstein thing. Okay, so real quick, and then we'll move on to the madness and the sadness, I suppose. Um, Here's one of the quotes from the top of the article. Everyone knows a change needs to be made, one former player said, but no one will dare stand up and say it. 
everyone is scared to death, another ex-player said, in reference to Big John Thompson still being around. Um, Loyalty and fear, one told ESPN on why they weren't willing to attach their name to anything. Fear of Big John and where you stand. You don't mess with him. I'm still scared of him, and I'm a grown man now. So it's really not even... It's really not even like JT three quotes. This is all like my guess. These are former John Thompson Jr. players. So I, I can't remember the article. It seemed like if my, my memory is that it was implied or said in the article that at least one or two of them were players who had played under JT three. Because I remember, I don't want to say which one. I don't think this, I think it was sort of assumed that it wasn't this player, but there's one particular player I won't name that Jeff Goodman knows pretty well that played under JT three. But oh, it must have been X. I think it probably wasn't. Um, so. I love the school, and he's a really, really good man, but he's just not getting it done. How many more years are they going to give him of not making the tournament? Now, it'd be interesting, I think, if Jeff Goodman went back and asked these players what they thought about what's going on right now. Because at the writing of this article, they had missed exactly one tournament. They had made it in 15. They were you know, obviously going to miss it in 17 unless they'd won the Big East tournament. So you're, you know, you're, you're looking at two straight. But... Some of those quotes make it sound like it's, you know, DePaul, right? I mean. Yeah, but, but not, to, not to dredge this era up again, but by the time that article was written, it was, the writing was on the wall. It was pretty clear that was where this was going. I could have told you that it was going to, I did say on Twitter, it was going that way by the end of the Arkansas State game in like November. Okay, like, but was, sure. But so at that, but when you're saying how long is it going to take, like at, we're talking two years. <laughs> the, I mean, when, when, I think when you look back at this article, like I'm doing literally right now while we're on the pod, those quotes are, there's, those quotes are kind of silly. I, I, this is probably a whole separate podcast, right? But I, again, it's one of those like that's always my thing with Goodman. I, I, I dislike him for a lot of reasons, but I have to sort of shake my head and say he's not wrong. The quotes aren't wrong to me. Right. Can after I, can missing just, it two years, after making it like seven of the previous nine or ten, like that's, I I don't know. I mean, I mean that's a, this is maybe this is a this is a separate conversation, but I, I just want to just getting back to you know what what you kicked this off with, with the new transfer coming in, um, uh, Tudy Bile, um, is. I, you know, when you went through the roster and you're like, you know, could this guy start? I was like, ah, oh, there's no way, there's no way he's starting. I've just been looking at the roster now. And he can, he can definitely start. My, I, I mean, well, well, after doing another like double take, realizing that the the cupboard is pretty um, empty, I I think that knowing nothing about this guy really, other than you know what what we said over the course of a couple minutes, I. I think I want him to start. Not only do I do I think he can start, I think I want him to start. Because if he if you think about it, if he if he starts, then that means either, you know, you have some combination of of Pickett and Shooty playing the three and the four, and that and then we'll have a point guard and, and Mac at the top and Blair coming off the bench. If he's not starting, then we probably have a three guard lineup where we've got, you know, one of these new point guards, uh, Mac and Blair. Uh, Pickett playing the four and and Wahab playing the five, and if we have a three guard lineup at the top again, especially with you know with Mac Blair and potentially a potentially a, a freshman starting maybe not you know but we've got three guys at the top who are 
you know, a little undersized, not very proven defenders, and we're going to have once again one of the worst perimeter defenses unless we change things up. So knowing very little about this guy, I hope he plays just so we have more size at the top. Yeah, I, I think other, you know, it's not just offense, right? So I was making the you can't start McClung and Blair together because there's only one basketball. Well, you also and, and can't. Not, neither one of them is a point guard. Let's be honest. I mean, neither one of them is is a point guard. Blair has well, had some dribbling issues in the past. Um, I we, mean, Mac Mac can bring the ball up the floor, but if he tries yeah. to be a point guard while still looking for his shot the whole time, he'll he'll get exhausted real fast. That's true. But also, you probably don't want to start McClung and Blair because of what they do or don't do defensively at the same time, yeah. right? Like you're you're kind of counting on on bile here you're hoping to be a, a defender someone that's you know you're 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 losing mosley and allen who are you know decent defenders so you're hoping someone steps up it's probably not anyone on the current roster so you're hoping one of the freshman guards like beard is maybe a defender harris i've heard is a pretty good defender so that's kind of another reason why he's in the mix to start right because they couldn't defend. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I mean, mean that's to, to me that's my that's my bottom. I mean that again that's this is another conversation, but my bottom line is to have those. I you know as much as we you know coaches tend to like the guy like to go with the guys who are um, who have been around the longest and there look there's an argument to be made that Mac Blair Pickett uh, should definitely be in the starting lineup, but. I don't know. There's there's too many holes if you start all three of those guys at the same time. Yeah, being good enough to start and the starting lineup making sense are two different things. I think Javon Blair clearly proved to everyone he could start in the Big East. It's just in order to have a successful season, it probably doesn't happen alongside McClung. I just I just don't see that. Um, before um, and everyone can listen. I'm sure John and I are going to record a off takes on. Goodman's article and argue for like three hours. <laughs> um, I will leave this with one one last bile thing. The rabbit hole I got stuck down when I was trying to figure out if he was because when I when I went to um, college basketball reference, he only had one year in the Southland. So I'm just like, oh, he's you know he had a good year for Northwestern State. He's gonna have to sit a year and he's got three to play. And then I looked where they had the little jerseys and there was two jerseys and i'm like well that's weird they only have that like when you change schools like omir your 7 has like an nc state jersey and a georgetown jersey and they were both kind of red and then i googled them and i'm like oh he's been doing junior college wait he was at bradley for like 2 months what happened there so i ended up on a bradley braves message board which i cannot believe existed i know we make fun of hoya talk sometimes and you know georgetown's a much bigger program than bradley um and what they were saying over there about Bile was that he participated in one practice and decided he didn't want to stay and just left. So, so, so he did what I did in basketball camp in like the eighth grade. So obviously there's much more to the story than whatever that poster on the Bradley Braves message board had to say, but I was just like, oh, okay. Sure. Moving along. By the way, Bradley, Bradley Braves. Bradley Braves is where Charlie Steiner went to school. There you go. And, and actually, you know what? Charlie? I think, think Hersey Hawkins went there, too. He did. There's, there's nothing wrong with the NBC, which is where I assume Bradley still plays. That conference is at a ton of realignment. Nothing wrong with the Southland, either. That Stephen F. Austin Duke game is tremendous. 
It was. You want no part of them. Okay. So, I don't know how many games we're going to get to because we went off we went off-roading for a little bit, but it was it was definitely <laughs> fun. Um first up in the sadness bracket and I'm going to swing it over here to Howie to Howie. Um we have an 8-9 game, which is it's a pretty good one, which is what you hope for the 8-9 games. We got Georgetown beating Seton Hall in 2015. This is the Tyler Adams game. And it's up against the nine seed, Georgetown defeating Villanova in 2011 on the road. I was there. That was an Austin Freeman special. And Henry Sims showed us a little bit of what was to come in 2012. So, Howie, take us home here yeah, on, this, at, on this matchup. I was at both of these games. Both of these games, too. Um, the, look, the, the Georgetown-Seton Hall game, uh, senior day, 2015, this was this was probably the last really fun moment to be a Georgetown fan. Uh, wow. That's the exact thing I was going to say about this game. Wow. You know, and it was, yeah, March 7th, 2015. I, I don't, so I, actually, I don't, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's debatable. I, I think the way I had we felt fun, after. I had fun at the Georgetown Creighton game like a week later. So, so maybe maybe not like the last time it was fun, <laughs> but I think this is the last like like start to finish like feel well, good. Well, I know, right? I know, I know exactly what he means. I'm just I'm just trying to. No, 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 no I know, but but you're t- t- to be fair, you had fun at the Georgetown Creighton game a week later, even though we barely eked out a win against the Creighton team we should have destroyed. You were happy because you got to spend Friday night in New York, and we know how much you love. There Friday you night go. In New York. I there did. That's go. exactly what. That's exactly what I, what I, what I'm getting to. Um, but yeah, we should uh, do over-unders on this. The, the, the Georgetown Seton Hall game, I mean, the, I mean, we had locked in second place in the, in the, in the regular season. This, this was the last winning season we had under JT three. And this was a really fun team. Uh, it was Tyler Adams, Jabril, uh, Mikhail Hopkins. It, it was, it was great. It was a really it was just a really, really fun team. And DSR was on this team also. Uh, I think the, like all of reading about all the, all the different stories of the seniors and the run-up to this game was a lot of fun. Um, celebrating the seniors was, was a lot of fun. And I, I just want to point out, I mean, most people obviously know the story about Tyler Adams scoring the first basket and uh, Georgetown not reciprocating and that leading to five years of misery, uh, misery and, and in that span, Kevin Willard has cemented himself as one of the top coaches in the conference and has won the Big East tournament and has done really well. Uh, I just want to point out a few things that uh, that I didn't realize until I did a little more digging. So, so first of all, while it may be true that Seton Hall allowed us to score the first basket with Tyler, uh, what, what some people forget is we immediately fouled Seton Hall just to get Tyler off the floor. So in fairness to JT3, although we didn't allow them to reciprocate, we didn't reciprocate. We did have one of our starters pick up a foul, which is not, which is not nothing. And it actually turned out to be um, a pretty foul heavy game, if I remember correctly. So it's, it's a minor point, but it's still worth, worth noting. The other couple of things, I remember this game being extremely close down the wire. Uh, and it, it was not that close. We were actually we were up 17 
early in the second half, Seton Hall went on a monster run and I think cut it to five, but it never got any closer than that. We led the entire second half. Uh, I, I forgot that we had as big a lead as we did early in the second half, and we shot a lot of a lot of free throws in this game, which was which which really helped us. The other thing I completely forgot about this game, though, DSR didn't play. D- yeah. DSR, D- DSR, our leading scorer that season, did not play for reasons that are unclear. They said it was a lower body injury. But, I, you know, I mean, we, we won this game without our leading scorer. And, look, the optimism heading into the Big East tournament, going in as the two seed, it was, again, it, it was – the last really fun time to be a Georgetown fan a little over five years ago. <laughs> this would have been, this in 2015 would have been the senior day for the class that started in the 2011-2012 season. That, that whole season is my favorite season of the time I've been a Georgetown fan, but that class in particular, I mean, their, their career path at Georgetown went all different directions, but I, you had a senior day that day for Jabril and for Mikhail Hopkins, um, you know, part of that class was also Otter Porter, who was in the NBA, Greg Whittington, who was in Parts Unknown, and then there was Tyler. Um, it was a really good, it's a, an awesome group of kids. Like, it's a weird way to say that, but um, the, I've been doing that thing where on Twitter, I've been posting like old memorabilia that I have, of old Georgetown stuff. And today I posted like some of the wristbands from the China trip that they all took their freshman year. Um, from like the moment they came on campus that summer, the China trip was that summer, probably like the best Kenner league start to finish I ever went to was that summer where the five of them all played on the same team. It was just really awesome to watch that group while they were still around together develop. And then the ones who stuck around, it was a great group of kids to watch. I think that's why it was such a feel good game. Um, I got a random just story. A, just to... No, no, no sorry. Sorry. Go ahead with your story. No, my other random story of this game is um, my father-in-law went to this game. Um, I forget what circumstances we got him tickets, but when I was like randomly assigned to whatever section they had. And he ended up of all places sitting next to Tyler Adams' dad for this game. And he got talking to him during the game. And, you know, I, I know on this podcast, you know, we're on the spectrum of delusional and cynical. I think it's pretty clear where at least two of us fall. Um, but I will say, yeah, I say a lot of negative things about JT3 and there's a lot of pent up you know, things I'm in my feelings about. But one of the things that, Georgetown has always consistently done, and, and including under JT3. And it's the thing that you know, Tyler's dad said to my, my father-in-law was that, you know, that was a difficult situation Tyler went through to have that diagnosis and have, you know, a major health scare, have his, you know, basketball career be suddenly completely over. And what his dad said to my father-in-law was that Georgetown really took care of Tyler and really did right by him. Right. Tyler was always a valued member of the bench. Like, I mean, he's in, he's in coaching now. He's coaching down, I think, in Mississippi. Like, I, his family really felt like Georgetown did right by him. And it reminds us that there are things that are more important than basketball. And Georgetown does those things really well. So now yeah, can we I mean, talk I about can't... Jeff Goodman again? Now that I've had my happy moment. Which like, is... Where is this guy? <laughs> um... And to to stay on Tyler, I was doing a thing today where I was trying to find a list of five-star recruits that Georgetown's picked up over the years, and then it kind of shifted to top 100 players. And, you know, you know Tyler was the second-ranked recruit in that class that included Otto, yeah. who was, you know, people want to pretend like Otto was almost a walk-on because he was kind of out of nowhere, but 
by the time it was all said and done, he was almost a five star. He was right around like the 30 range. Five stars are the yeah. top 25 kids. Um, yeah. But Tyler was 80. Hopkins from DeMatha was 98. Winnington was kind of an unknown, but immediately once he stepped on foot on campus, you knew he was he was a guy. And Jabril, I think everyone kind of knew he was going to end up being a, being a pretty good player. But yeah. can you imagine today if Georgetown got a player from Duke to flip commitments? And that's what yeah. Tyler Adams was. And I mean, just to think about what that like, you know, I know we're kind of just, you know, talking about bile and recruiting in general a little bit. But, you know, at that point, Georgetown was rocking and rolling and they got a kid to flip from Duke. You know, I just I just think that, you know, Tyler's obviously been one of the bigger voices um, of former players on Twitter for Georgetown. He's really, mm-hmm. you know, take, take takes a lot of pride in the Hoya program and for all the all the reasons that you mentioned that you know, he under, you know, a terrible thing happened to a kid that was, you know, he, I'm sure thought he was going to play in the NBA. And instead he basically became a de facto coach. Um, But yeah, just to think that he was, I mean, he was like, he was a, he was a big time get. Yeah. Yeah. So for all of that feel good stuff, we just talked about uh, this game lost two to one. (laughs) People like, we want to do a summary. Which is, we, look, the, the, the 2011 Nova game's a good game. Um, I, I, I do what I normally do right before the podcast. I, I YouTube all these, see if there's any highlights. There's highlights of this game on YouTube. Um, were you at the game? Because I mean, it sounds like Howie and I were both there. I was, yeah. I was in the upper deck at the, I think it was the Wachovia Center still at that point. It goes through every bank permutation possible over the years. Um, yeah, this one, I remember some of the beats of it. I remember, this is one of the first times, like, we got the uh, like the massive thunder snow chant, right? Because Nate Lubick has that dunk near the end of the game when it's a close game. Um, George, this was I, I, I was reminded of this. I knew this to some degree, but I was watching the YouTube pilots. I was definitely reminded of this. Or you know, again, my gosh, we tried to give this game away. <laughs> we were up like ten, eight, ten points with three minutes to go, and we turned it over on like two or three straight possessions under Nova's pressure. We darn sure could have turned it over about two or three more times. Like probably our last two baskets were just completely miracle passes out of double teams. Um, it was an unexpectedly stressful ending to that game, actually. Um, Nate Lubick's dunk is after Austin Freeman is basically coffin cornered by half court um, and just kind of blindly throws a pass. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a fun game. You know, I, I was I was thinking about this. Like, remember when we used to do road trips? Remember when Georgetown fans used to go to road games, like, together? And that was a thing. And it was fun. Ugh, I, I missed that. I think this game, actually, I think for me, um, I think the Hoya Hoop Club bus trip either filled up or it got canceled because I remember – just sort of end up going and be like, you know what? I've, I've been to a couple of these already. I'm, I'm just going to yeah. drive. It's not that far. So it's, 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 you're, it's very possible. You're right. I was still on the hoop club at this point. And one of the problems they had was they would try to decide every year, which games they would do bus trips for. And the problem with the Philly games is they're close enough where most people just want to drive. So it's hard to get people to pay for a bus when they can just drive pretty easily themselves. So it's possible. There were a lot of Georgetown fans at that game. There always are at the Philly game. Let me so just just a couple of additional tidbits on the on these two games. So and I was at both of them also. I, I one one last thing on that on the Georgetown Seton Hall game. So I, I was I went to I went to China with the team, and so I was there for those for, for those seniors: Otto, Greg, Jabril, Tyler, Mikhail. I was there for their first two games in Beijing, and 
Uh, everyone obviously talks about the second game with the brawl. Uh, the first game was pretty meaningful, too, and not only because it was their first game and we got a win, got to see those players. Joe Biden spoke to the crowd at halftime. Uh, he was there for meetings with Xi Jinping, interestingly enough. And <laughs> the, the, the team uh, was staying at the same hotel as Joe Biden and, and uh, a pretty large uh, group of folks from the State Department. So it was just an interesting time to be a part of all of that. Uh, the, the other thing I'll say is, so this, this, the Georgetown-Villanova game, it, first of all, it was, it, was, it was an enormous win. I mean, this was, this was, Villanova was number eight in the country. We were, we were 21st, but uh, at the time, I don't think people were expecting us to win. We, we were hopeful, but we've talked about Austin Freeman. He took 19 shots. He scored 30. Uh, just a couple of quirky things from, from the box score. I, I remembered some of this, but not all of it. Chris Wright, 32 minutes, zero points, zero, four yeah. turnovers. Wow. Ju- Julian, Julian Vaughn made all seven of his free throws, <laughs> which, which is, which is also bizarre for, for him. Uh, Austin Freeman and Chris Wright each had six assists. I mean, so Austin Freeman, 30 points and six assists, which is bonkers. And, uh, you know, and we, we got, you know, we, we got bits and pieces from the, from the bench, not a whole lot, but Hollis Thompson. So Hollis played 19 minutes. Chris Wright played 32 minutes. The two of them combined for 51 minutes and two points. And we still won this game. So I, I mean, just, which goes to show you can't always look at a box score and, and determine what the hell happened. But I mean, this was, this was a massive win. We held on for dear life at the end. Uh, you know, I, I don't, this is a very close eight, nine matchup for me. I think I ended up voting for the Tyler Adams game, but um, you know, I think these I did were too. very good wins. It's also that Nova game is also the last time we won in Philadelphia. Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be ten years this coming year if we have a game up there. So, yeah, which is weird because well, not not weird, but um, Georgetown actually had some success before that. Like they had been winning up there a decent amount. Like yeah, that wasn't, yeah. you know, um, starting yeah. JT 3s first year they won kind of right at the end of the game in the pavilion. Um, that was the last time actually, they won can... there. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you including it. including the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you're right. Oh God, let's <laughs> let's keep it moving. On that note, <laughs> okay, um, okay. Howie, you got a you got an eight nine game of sadness now. Yeah, so we have uh, Georgetown losing. This is the eight nine matchup. The eight seed is Georgetown losing to Rutgers seventy one to sixty eight, February fourteenth, two thousand ten. Uh, this was. Just to put it in context here, Georgetown was ranked seventh in the country at the time. We we had a little bit of a roller coaster in in February. If, a if little. You remember the snow, a, a little a little bit. If you remember the snow game where we beat Villanova at home, everyone remembers this game. Uh, this I think was the very next game. They, they played. Um, they played at Providence in in between. Yeah, there's 
Oh, did okay. whenever, whenever okay. there's a 2010 game on here, you have to. Yeah, I always go back to the schedule that year because you have to look at like what the hell was what going part on of the schedule. Team. Yeah, there's a five. This ends like a five game sequence that was the win over Duke, the home loss to USF, the win over Nova, that Providence game, and then this. Like it's the weirdest like back and forth. The game before the Duke game was like. The game at the Carrier Dome has like the wildest like win probability and like point swing you'll ever see in a Georgetown game too. It's crazy. Yeah, completely in yeah, character so for this I, team. Yeah, right. No, it was. It, this was. I think this was the the first time Rutgers had gotten a win over a top ten team in like seven years or so. It, it, this was also I, just to give you a sense of how how bad this was. This is back when the Big East had sixteen teams. Rutgers was fifteenth. This was a two and nine Rutgers team. Georgetown was, I think, tied for third at the time. Uh, it was, it, it was, it was not very good. Uh, and we lost, even though Greg Monroe had like a Greg Monroe game. I mean, this was one of those. Greg Monroe played 40 minutes of this game, all 40 minutes, 19 points, eight rebounds, six assists, four blocks. He also had five tur- five turnovers, but. I mean, it was just a Greg Monroe is all over the place sort of game, and it, it was it was brutal. I mean, ultimately, it didn't crash and burn our season. That was not going to happen for a few weeks later, but <laughs> but it, it was still, you know, it's also worth pointing out. You know, I'm, I'm looking at February 2010, and I'm thinking to myself, well, when is the Austin Freeman diabetes game against Notre Dame? And yeah. that was uh, just a couple weeks after this. Uh, but in in this game, Austin, 17 points, five rebounds, seemed seems perfectly fine. So th- this but this clunker though, I, I mean, you know, if we don't finish where we finish, then then we don't have that magical run through the Big East tournament. But uh, you know, keep in mind that we ended up as an what an, an eight seed in that Big East tournament, uh, nope. and we we should not have been this team should not have been an eight seed. I mean, this team should have been something like a three seed. Uh, and well, they were. And it's losing games like this. What's that? They were. Well, in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> but I'm saying in the, in the, no, I in know. the Big East. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. And, and they had beaten, you know, they'd beaten the breaks off of Rutgers at home, you know, just a couple weeks earlier. Crushed them. Yeah. You know. And in this game, it was Jonathan Mitchell with a career high. And I... We didn't, we couldn't do, and keep in mind also another heartbreaking thing about this game. We, we led one time in the second half and it was on uh, a lay-in with under a minute to go. Rutgers came down the court. Mike Rosario, of all people, missed a shot and Rutgers got a tip in to take the lead. We then had multiple opportunities uh, to to win the game. I think we had a two-on-one and, and with like 10 seconds to go and Chris Wright settled for a three instead of going straight to the basket. It was, it, it was brutal. It was not, it was not, it was not a fun game by any stretch of the imagination. And you know what? This is another one. Um, it was not a fun bus ride home. The hoop club did get its act together. There was a bus trip to this. I was <laughs> on it. I went to, oh, man. I'd have to look. I, I, I've been to at Rutgers games two or three times. Both times yeah. was with the bus was with the, um the hoop club bus trip. This was definitely a game that the hoop club came through with the bus trip, which, you know, you're thinking, Hey, you know, why wouldn't, what am I going to do? It's actually, and it was 
Valentine's Day. Stupendous. But yeah, no. Um, <laughs> if you if you've been to Rutgers and you've 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 sat you know way up high, oh, yeah. and it's, it's you know it's just if you go there, you definitely want to see a win, and that did not happen on this day, <laughs> even though they almost pulled it out. This is my only observation about this game. Really, I was also there. I don't. I didn't go on the Hoopla bus, but what is the strangest venue you have been to a Georgetown game at? Because the, if you've been to the rack, it's a strange venue. The sides are incredibly steep. Um, it's kind of a concrete thing out in the big parking lot. Terrific tailgating scene. Um, no par- no problem there. But it's a weird venue. I can see why it had a reputation as kind of a hard place to play. But what's the strangest venue you've been to a Georgetown game at? Howie. I, I mean, full disclosure, I've been, I've been to the rack dozens of times. So yeah. I don't even, I don't, and I don't even, I don't even think the rack is, is strange. Me. It's, it's just a really tough place to play. Um, I mean, I don't know the, the, the strangest place to play. It's got to be one of these small old timey gyms. Uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium is pretty strange because it's relatively small and old compared to most arenas. But yeah. um, I, I don't, I look, I don't know if there's a, the Carrier Dome is pretty strange. It's a pretty terrible game to watch a game, the t- terrible place to watch a <laughs> basketball game, considering it's just on a football field in the middle of a bubble. Um, yeah. I thought the at Navy game, I think that was the second, mm. the first or second year of JT3, because you had to park um, off base i guess it is is that is that what it is it's considered a base and yeah. You had to, space, whatever, yeah yeah and then you had to get on you know a shuttle bus and all this like screening to get on campus um because i went to jmu having georgetown play at jmu to me was pretty surreal i think those were actually back-to-back games um probably right but for me I, I think... for me after all that talking i'm gonna say in 1993, Georgetown hosted an NIT game at George Mason. So that was really weird. That's probably the weirdest <laughs> circumstance I've seen Georgetown play in. I mean, I was living in Fairfax. I, you know, I'm still in Fairfax. But to have them not play in Landover and play host a game at George Mason was just beyond weird. So I th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. Yeah, I, I was at both of those games too, at Navy and at, at JMU. I remember the, the Navy parking situation pretty distinctly. Um, I, I think we should. We can also probably say the strangest place they played was on a boat where the game didn't even happen. Well, yeah, sure. Um, that's that. That Sadly, probably did not go to the boat. Did I, I would also yep. like to point out that uh, we lost this game at Rutgers. I think that the the last time we had lost a game to Rutgers was in January of two thousand two, uh, where we overtime? were we were we were ranked. We lost that game in overtime. Uh, I was there, and I was the Aeropostale fan of the game. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to find footage know, of that. I don't know why, but I, I don't know what got me down a rabbit hole <laughs> to this, but I just saw YouTube highlights of this game, like, within the last couple of weeks. I don't know how They usually show there, it but... when Rutgers does something good, because that's one of their big wins. <laughs> yeah. The weirdest, by the way, the weirdest, I mean, like, in terms of the venue itself, the only venue I've been to a Georgetown game at that I can remember I was actually having concerns about the structural integrity of the venue was the second time I went to the Sundome in Tampa to watch us play USF. Um, it's been renovated since then, but going down the stairs into the Sundome, I seriously, like it was creaking and there's some really bad rotten wood. And I thought, God, I might fall through the stands here. Uh, we barely won that game. It was fun. <laughs> 
I firmly believe that the reason why teams play so crappy at USF was the same reason they played so crappy at Miami back in the day. It's because it's, un- it's weird to go down to Florida when you spent the entire winter flying to these like tundra cities in the Northeast and Midwest now, you have to fly down to Tampa or Miami to play in some ancient arena, like back when Miami played in the Miami arena. Like I'm not surprised teams can't deal. Oh, that's actually jogs my memory. Um, Fitzgerald Fieldhouse was a really weird venue. Oh. Uh, when you <laughs> went out to the concourse, there was li- it was literally slanted a little bit because it was like an indoor track. And oh. I remember I was in college at the time, so I want to say this was like, I don't know, 01 or I think it was 01, maybe 02. But that was, it looked way different in person than it did on tv and i think i was i was with the georgetown fan tickets my buddy had played at georgetown Ramel ross went to high school together and i uh, was so i was there i think trenton hillier's parents were there and it was it was an interesting way to take in a game fitzgerald I'm, i have not been to peterson but i have to imagine it's a thousand times better than fitzgerald Fieldhouse. i, I mean keep in mind we also played on a u.s sorry go ahead no i know you go with that too uh, I'll also throw in a plug that I'm thrilled that UConn is back in the conference and the XL Center is back in the rotation. Uh, I also think it's hilarious that the NCAA tournament put it back in the rotation last year. It, it boggles the mind. That place is a trip. <laughs> I was just going to say, we also played on uh, a U.S. base in South Korea. So a, a base which, by the way, had fast food and a bowling alley and lots of other accoutrements i guess you could say <laughs> did you did you end up making that no well i mean you went to china i thought it was worth the ask i mean you know I, I didn't i didn't save up enough political capital for that one all right so this game does have an opponent <laughs> i the, the, the the, the nine seed here is uh, Georgetown losing Xavier, sixty-six to fifty-three. This game was at Georgetown, January twenty-seventh, two thousand fifteen, and this was one of those pink uniforms games. Uh, just, just a, a few highlights. So keep in mind, we we talked about the Tyler Adams game, which was literally five weeks after this one, uh, in what turned out to be a pretty solid regular season performance. This was in the middle of a big run we were on, playing at home to Xavier, and this is just another example of Xavier taking us behind the woodshed and just being much more physical than we were. Uh, They swept us that season. They beat us three times that season. We were held without a field goal for 11 straight minutes in the first half. Uh, We only had 16 points at halftime, which is the same number of points we had at the half in that historic win against Tennessee when we won, what was it? 37 to 36, 39 to 36, 37, uh, 37 to 36. And we were in the top 25 and this was just a punch in the mouth. Um, we had Jabril, I think I had Jabril had six turnovers. Uh, the only other Isaac Copeland made his first career start. The only other thing to, to, to note as maybe kind of a little bit of an excuse here is we were really banged up. LJ Peak was out, didn't start this game. He had an ankle injury. That's why Copeland started. Uh, Jabril had a thigh injury. So we were banged up to begin with, and then we were facing a team that 
traditionally, at least at that time, uh, was pretty adept at um, pushing us around. And they really just beat us up in this game. You know what? They did. They they beat Georgetown up so much that of all of these great matchups that we're coming out with on Casual Hoya, this is, I think, the only game I don't even really have a feel for. And I was absolutely there. It's so... Xavier, I think, I, w- I looked it up this past year, of all of Georgetown's current opponents have the best winning percentage against Georgetown. And it didn't get any better this year. So for me, these games have all just sort of run together, even though, like, as you said, that was during a good stretch. That was Georgetown's last good team. I just, I really can't remember that game. And I'd be a little bit more concerned if I couldn't remember games from like the late eighties. So I think I'm still okay with my memory. This one just, I just, I just don't have it. So I'm definitely going to go with that Rutgers loss. (laughs) It's going to get the win for me because I can remember the bus ride home and it sucked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a double-digit loss to Xavier where they out-physicaled us. Like, you're going to have to be way more specific than that, right? So, this is just, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Sometimes I think the idea of, like, a culture around a program is kind of a silly thing. But you can't argue that Xavier does have sort of a culture of toughness in how they approach it. And it's been evident just about every time they've played us in the Big East, including this season, right? There's one team that clearly is the tough one, clearly aggressor. The other team isn't, and it tends to go the same way when we play Xavier. Um, the, there are other great examples of Xavier blowouts. The one from the Big East tournament that year is on the bracket somewhere, too. That, to me, is like peak Chris Mack, like transparently like telling you what he's going to do and outcoaching JT3, but they're all terrible. Yeah. I don't even know if there's more to say about about that no. game. Well, I know no. what there is to say about that game is that when they lost for the third time that season against Xavier, which was on Friday night in the Garden, they got down by what seemed a million, and they almost came back. I believe there was a botched Paul White to Isaac Copeland alley-oop that would have tied the game or brought them from within yep. four to two. Yeah. But, but they made it. But this is the game. I'm pretty sure this is the game. It may have been a, an inside the house from a different Georgetown Xavier game, but I'm positive. I'm almost positive it was from this game in the Big East tournament where Chris Mack is in the inside the huddle, basically saying to his team, look, Georgetown's overly relying on Josh Smith. If you take Josh Smith out, the whole team's going to fold. Josh Smith in that game gets two fouls pretty early in the first half, doesn't play a lot of minutes. What does Xavier do the first possession of the second half? They run the same pick and roll they've been running the entire game with Matt Stanbrook. Josh Smith can't keep up. He bumps him, gets his third foul, gets his fourth foul pretty shortly thereafter. He's basically a non-factor. Like, it's Chris Mack telling you out loud, it's easy to beat this team, and then doing it. I think, I think um, I'm not sure, but I think uh, I think Matt Stanbrook might have uh, driven for Uber. He did. <laughs> that was his notable I, thing. I, I know. <laughs> they, they wouldn't shut up about it on the Uber television. driver, Rex Fex, and dominating Josh Smith, man. Here's a question. Have we lost to any other team three times in one year in the last 20 years? Definitely Villanova. Um, it feels like it has to be Villanova because we did lose them at least once in the Big East tournament um, during one of the bad JT3 years at the end, maybe 2016, so probably. Yeah, in, um, in, uh... oh, no, in, in, um, in the year 
in the year Syracuse won the national championship, we lost to him three times. That was 2003. Yep. So, yeah, so the 2015-16 season, Georgetown lost three times to Villanova, although the the home game was close, 55-50. The road game was not, and the game in the Big East tournament was not. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to do, particularly when you don't play the same team, you know, twice that. Well, now, you know, in the Big East you do, but right. it didn't used to be that way. And now since Georgetown is always in that 7-10 game, you're likely to have split with the team you play in the 8-9 game, or yeah. sometimes you beat St. John's twice, and then you lose to him in the tournament. So <laughs> you're not going to you're not gonna find yourself getting uh, losing three times the same team when you're always in the 8-9 game. Yep. But uh, so, do we have a? Do, what, what was the? Uh, what's the? What's the score on this one? I'm going Rutgers. Uh, I, yeah, I got Rutgers too. I think I went Rutgers on this. Wow. So sometimes you know you can get all three. I mean that we just talked about. It. It's hard to do. We did it. <laughs> do, do we want to go one more? I think we should go one more. Yeah. I think we do should end on on madness. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we can. We could, yeah, we can just do that. You want to do that last pod? I don't think we're, I don't think our answer is going to be any different on those, on those matchups. But um, this is the four thirteen and five twelve matchups together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, I think this might be the most, the most difficult pod in this imaginary tournament, uh, just because it's. It, in, in maybe in any other region, you'd have the 13 seed defeating a four seed or the 12 seed defeat, defeating a five seed, but these matchups might be just a little bit too, too difficult. The, the four 13, we have Georgetown beating, winning at Syracuse 64 to 56 in February, 2011. This was JT three's first win at the carrier dome. This was putting Chris Wright in the middle of that zone and making Syracuse look silly. Uh, this was Georgetown's seventh consecutive win and it was the first time we had won at the Dome in nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a big so, one. So, so, yeah, it was in the team. It was a big deal to the team, too. I remember after the game, they made a, a big deal out of how they wanted to get JT3 his first win at the Carrier Dome. Because I think it was three, I mean, even three times or four times at least um, that they hadn't won up there. So it was a big deal for them. But it also was the first win at the Carrier Dome since 2002. So another, another fun stat I looked up. So going back to the game at Villanova that year as well. So they won at Villanova in 2011. They won at Syracuse in 2011. They haven't done that since. And Syracuse hasn't been in the conference anymore. You know when the previous time they had won at Syracuse and Villanova in the same season was before 2011? Probably one of those Esherick years. It it all does kind of come back to Eshrick on this, these most recent episodes of <laughs> no, Kente Corner. It does. It, it doesn't this time. I'll tell you. I, it, it's long enough ago that when they won at Villanova, it was at the Spectrum. It was 1992. Huh. So Do you know how many times they played away at both venues? Um, it wasn't every year because of the way the conference was misbalanced, but it was a right. lot of the years. Okay. Well, I I only yeah, ask because. I will say our, our record at the Carrier Dome is pretty crappy going back to the 90s. So, like, there are a lot of losses at the Carrier Dome in there. Yeah. Well, just, the only reason I ask is because a lot of times when, you know, stats like that get brought up all the time during telecasts and it looks worse than it is because you don't always yeah, play on you the never road. Play them. 
Yeah. So I just wanted to, if you knew, just I, add I a little up, bit of. I want to say, gosh, going back, there may have only been like two or three wins, period, at the Carrier Dome. So it's not a lot of opportunity. Right. Yeah, I mean, Georgetown only has one win against Maryland in the last 25 okay. years, but we've only played Maryland four times. Right. The one, right. That always, the one that always got me was that when we find that the last game in 2007 when we beat UConn, the first time we'd beaten UConn in a decade. And there were a lot of games there. Yeah, you could see the passing of the torch in the Big East. Yeah. Um, and then this game goes up against a game that has a lot of you know, it's fresh in our memories. It's literally Georgetown's last win as a program. Georgetown's last win. Georgetown over Butler, 73-66 to 66 this year. The junkyard dog game. Uh, this, was just, this was just a pure joy to watch because Mac didn't play. Your seven didn't play. We had four guys who had already transferred. We, this was easily Terrell Allen's best, the best game of Terrell Allen's career. 22 points, four for four from three, hit that ridiculous last second baseline three with less than a minute to go. Should have been kind a four-point play. Game. Should have been a four-point play. And and then the thing that's probably most memorable is Allen, Mosley, Blair, each played 40 minutes. Uh, this was the first time Timothy Ego F.A. did anything, and, and he had a bunch of rebounds and scored a couple big baskets. And it was, you know, this is this is the 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 really positive game from the season that I think everyone will will remember. There were, of course, some others. I mean, we beat Syracuse at home with a very similar group of guys. We we had that beautiful win at SMU and the win at Oklahoma State. But this is the one that kind of came out of nowhere against a really good Butler team, uh, and we proceeded proceeded to lose the next seven. <laughs> well, well say, first of all, I will say, I will say. I don't want to say came out of nowhere. It's only because, like, the circumstances with the, you know, the short roster guys going 40 minutes and stuff, it's a really impressive way. They always win there? They always win at Butler. There's always going to be, in any conference, any team's always going to have the place for for whatever reason they always play well, and it's Butler for us, and the place they always play really terrible. And I think for us it's either Xavier or Providence. We never win at Villanova, but, come on, they're, they're really good. You know, Butler's the one for whatever reason, like, we always have good games there. But it's... I do wonder, I do wonder with a little more space, like with a few years in the rearview mirror, how people are going to look back on this season, at least the part of it after all the departures, right? Because on one hand, like it's a forgettable, you know, lost the last seven games, a lot of like just depressing losses and like a lot of hopelessness around the program. But in there, there's a few wins that are really nice, gutsy. Like, you feel good about how a win like the Butler win happens. You would have felt really good about how the Villanova win at the end of the season happened if it had happened, right? I feel that, I don't know, like, do we, are we going to have some kind of reappraisal of this season a few years down the road? And I say that knowing that, like, JT3's last year, there's some decent wins in there, too. They won at Syracuse, right? John Mulmore hit the big shot in that game. Does anybody remember that? Like, they beat Oregon in Maui, yeah. right? They had a couple random points. They probably won at Butler that year. Um, but I, I feel like well, you know, because of the circumstances of that season, everybody's like, eh, let's not talk about that. I don't know how we're going to feel about this one. No, I, look, I, I mean, I'll, I'll – look, I'll actually point out that all of these games are, are in your 64-team bracket right now. So I, I think, mm-hmm. like, we're – I don't even think – like, we don't even need the passage of time with some of these. I, I think 
you know, we will continue to view the games this year pretty fondly, but you're, you're right. Some of our, I mentioned this the last time we talked, some of our most memorable wins are in some of the most depressing seasons because the, yeah. the, the handful of games you win, sometimes they're really close games. Sometimes they're, yeah. they're against tougher opponents. These are the ones that stay in your, in, in your mind. And we had a bunch of them this season at Oklahoma state SMU, the game at St. John's was a remarkable comeback Stupid. victory, Stupid. even though St. John's wasn't good. Stupid. That rivalry is stupid. I think. Do you think, by the way, that the 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 way that we have kind of owned Butler at Butler uh, is at all comparable to the way Xavier has kind of owned us? And 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 if so, do you think that the way we think of Xavier right now as a program and just how much we hate uh, that program because of what they've done to us, which is a lot of it is kind of out of respect. Is kind of the way Butler feels about us? No, because Butler keeps winning at Georgetown is the difference. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So they've won a bunch of overtime games. Guys have hit shots that haven't it hasn't made any sense. I mean, was it Patrick Ewing's first year? I think Georgetown was up eighteen at the break and they lost Something I think like it was that. an overtime. They might have it might have been we, a double we, overtime. We were up game. over twenty in that game. Yeah. We were up over yeah, twenty they lost, in that game. They lost ninety one, eighty nine. So I think the difference is is that Butler has been able to come and win at Capital One with regularity, whereas the Georgetown Xavier um, matchup is kind of it's one sided where wherever they play, um, except if yeah. you have Allen Iverson in a NCAA tournament game, um, <laughs> you can you can you can take care of business. Uh, for me, this Georgetown Butler game, there was the whole Omir Yurt Seven was warming up, but he didn't end up playing. And I think that there was, I forget if it was, if it was Seth Davis or if it was Andy Katz had one thing. And then uh, our friend Ben Standig was tweeting something different. I think this was was the first time we saw Omir's new haircut. Uh, I had a friend, (laughs) I had a friend text me. (laughs) I had a friend text me and say, Hey, look, they're going to, they're going to find a way to get the NSA tournament. And my response was, this is just going to make it more painful. And we also had Howie's brother on after that. And we had a really good podcast with a lot of listeners because everyone loves talking about the NCAA tournament. And at that point, I think Georgetown was in it, if I'm not mistaken. So Definitely. that's what I'm going to remember this Georgetown Butler game. I think going forward, what's it's going to be looked on really fondly if Patrick Ewing eventually gets it going. And the way his story as a coach is going to be written is like, look, he came in, he had to re, re, you know, regut the program and he was about to get it going. And then everybody left, but the guys that stayed tried really hard and they made everybody proud, which is what happened, but they fell short. Right. And you're going to look back at a game like this and be like, this is where you could see, even though the kids transferred and all these things happened, you know, Coach Ewing still had it going on, and you could, you could, you know, you're going to point back to this. Now, if Patrick Ewing doesn't figure it out, you're going to point back to this as the lost season, and everyone's going to forget. I think it's kind of the way it's going to, it's, it's going to just depend what happens in the future, right? It's, it's the thing. It's the thing I tweet or I said or I thought at the end of the season, right? If 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 the thing that sticks from this season is that the team will always play hard. For Coach Ewing and get a little bit more out of the talent that you'd expect on the mm-hmm. roster, just looking at them on paper, that could be a good thing. You know, I, I, the problem is 
you know, all these guys who put in all this effort in this game, a lot of them aren't around anymore, right? Terrell right. Allen's gone. Jacob Mosley's gone. Omer Yard 7 is gone. Like, you know, what's left? I mean, I know, I know, I mean, I know I'm not saying anything negative. Mirasan's gone. Back, but, I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, yes, we've got this, you know, you know, spirit or personality or effort in the team, but at a certain point, you got to have the talent to match it because the other teams are trying hard too. Nobody's going to ever accuse Xavier of not playing with effort or Providence or Villanova or pitch your team, you know? Have either of you guys <laughs> been then, to Butler? I wish I had, but no. So I guess maybe it was a different podcast without you guys, but I kind of want to go, but I don't want to go and then have them finally lose there, if that makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to ruin the mojo. We can't You know, like, I, like I want to be the coach after the coach. You know, I don't. I don't want to follow yeah. Dean Smith. You know, I want to. I want. I want to give. So you guys can yeah. go and let me know how it is, and if they lose, I'll go the next time. Here's so you don't the, want to be other... Bill Guthridge, but you want to be Matt Doherty. Oh, that's right. Actually, it, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. It actually did work out. Yeah. You want to be the coach after the coach after the coach. I don't want to be Craig Usher. Right. Even though I, I mean... kind of do. <laughs> I, with, uh, I mean, the other thing that's going to start to happen if we're, if we're playing this game, what, when we look back at all of this, what are we going to think? You still get plenty of people saying, well, yeah, JT3 went to the Final Four, but he did it with Craig Eshrick's recruit. Are people going to look back at this game and say, yeah, the team fought really hard for Ewing, but Jagan Mosley was a JT3 recruit? <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there is a legitimate question, right? When people say this team plays hard and they play with effort, is that a spirit of the program or team that's being taught or inculcated down from the coaching staff, or is it the individual personality of guys like Jacob Mosley and Terrell Allen? That's a legitimate question, because I think those guys on their own, those two guys would play hard no matter what team they were playing for. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, look, this is, uh, this is part of a broader discussion about yeah. um, prob- probably Ewing's coaching tenure thus far, but I, I, think, <laughs> I think it cuts in two, in two different ways, right? I mean, one is, look, I think I think it's clear just looking at the Butler game and the St. John's game, like our our guys definitely have played hard for Ewing um, throughout his tenure. But it also comes down to the type of guys you're bringing into the program. Are you bringing in guys that naturally play that way, that are very hungry and aggressive? And and and, and I think we have a sense of how Ewing likes to recruit, and he he, he attracts those sorts of guys. And even though he didn't attract Jagan initially, Jagan stayed in the program because he wanted to play for a guy like Patrick yep. and Jagan sure. seemed to thrive, especially in his last season. I guess to tie it back to the original discussion, right? Is that the type of player that we're bringing in in this incoming recruiting class? I think some of the guys we're bringing in have certainly been talked about that way. It's a question of, is that really their personality or is that just the thing that people do when they talk about the recruits they have coming in, right? Everybody's, you know, a hard nosed player and under recruited and under ranked, right? It's like every seventh round draft pick is a team player who's willing to play every position, right? So I don't know. Is that a culture of the program or is it just a one off thing? I guess we'll find out. In you know, Next time on, yeah. Well well it's yeah. also uh, you know, you made the the observation that people like to say that JT three went to the final four led by the two best players were not his recruits. Do we think that Ewing has brought in any players better than um Marcus and Jesse, two players he got on his first roster. 
Yeah, well, now we can just go down on a ra- go down a rabbit hole here, but <laughs> we could we could you know Josh LeBlanc, James Akinjo, um, you know the none of those guys are better than Jackson. I mean, not we don't really know, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, uh, we had we had a kid momentarily before he decommitted and went to Michigan. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right, yeah. Deep, deep sigh. Deep sigh. Um, uh, so, who do you, you guys have winning this uh, matchup? It has to be. It has to be JT3's first win at Syracuse. It has to. Be. Yeah, it's be that. that game was so much more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to not give some credit to this year's Georgetown Butler game, since if you were in charge of making the tape for the banquet, the the video ends after this, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, but that first win at Syracuse is just, it's, it's just too much, particularly with Chris Wright in the middle of the zone. And, you know, there's just, there's just so much there. I just want to stop here for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Clearly, you've clearly, Bobby, seen some Georgetown banquet videos because the whole, the video stops here is a classic trope of Georgetown uh, hoop club banquet videos. But what happened after the Hoyas won the end of the 2013 regular season against Syracuse? We'll find out next time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I mean, that was that was also that the the 2011 win at Syracuse. Like it came shortly after that win at Villanova that we just talked about, and that this was a team that had just lost Greg Monroe. We had a lot of guys just filling in. You know, Julian Vaughn had to play big minutes. Henry Sims had to play big minutes. Uh, and we were getting, you know, everybody remembers Freeman, Wright, Jason Clark, but. This is when Hollis Thompson started stepping up a little bit off the bench. And, uh, you know, we started to get Markel Starks got a little bit of run off the bench. This turned out to be a really fun team to watch. And I don't think people were expecting the level of success we had after, you know, losing that much firepower from the previous year, even if it was really only Greg Monroe. So, yeah, I totally agree. And then the last little matchup we have is a five versus 12. The five seed is Georgetown beating Louisville 53 to 51, January 26, 2013. This is the famous Aaron Bowen tip-in game, um, which happened with a little over three minutes to go. Louisville was ranked number five in the country. This was right in the middle of our gigantic and epic march through the regular season after picking up that third loss at South Florida, we had that delightful win at Notre Dame, which we talked about last time uh, in the last time we have played Notre since this is, that's the last time we played Notre Dame. Uh, and then we started moving through the conference and it culminated uh, in this late January win against Louisville that sort of um, cemented how good we were going to be that year. Markel Starks, Otto had, had big games that day, 17 apiece. And um, it, was, it was fun. And yeah, before that too, look. we got a chance to see a little bit of Bowen after that. And he, you know, he had his senior day and then he came back for another senior day. And, you know, so, but at that point he was sort of a guy that, you know, it seemed, J, you know, JT3 was scared to put him in, right. He had been a Marquette commit, one of their assistants left and he, he, he reopened and he ended up being a pretty good player, but he was also one of those players that 
based on the way that we think JT3 wanted to coach, he didn't make a whole lot of sense. He sort of looked like a player that made more sense for Eshrick or for his father. Just crazy athleticism, not really a good shooter. Um, you know, maybe his decision making, but he just he was a guy, right? Like he could just do things like this tip, for example. And in the post-game press conference, Markel Starks was just like, look, you guys don't see this. Because at that point, he wasn't playing a whole lot. He's like, this guy can do crazy stuff. He's one of the best athletes in the world. And, you know, you're just like, okay, Markel is being Markel right now. And I'm not saying he's one of the best athletes in the world, but some of the stuff Aaron Bowen could do was just ridiculous. Um, and I think if he had gone somewhere else, he probably would have played earlier. That wasn't so, you know, such a rigid offense, you know, based on, you know, all this thinking and decision-making and everyone, you know, wants to, that was always the negative. But this was this was just like, wow, Aaron Bowen can do that? Let's Let's see a little bit more of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Low scoring doesn't mean boring. Louisville and Georgetown had a ton of these like low scoring, tense defensive grinders that were really good at the end. Like I know 53-51 isn't the sexiest score, but the, the back and forth on those final possessions. And I think Louisville had about four or five different chances to try to take the lead. Um, and it was not the only Louisville Georgetown game at DC that was like that, but those were actually really cool, like sort of unique types of games. Well, and, and you know, this was the team that won the national championship. And I remember Patino afterwards, he didn't come to the press room, but we got him outside of his, we got him outside of the uh, Louisville locker room. And, you know, they had lost at home to Syracuse. Then they went on the road. They were, they were number one when Syracuse beat them. So Georgetown didn't, didn't get a shot at number one. So I think they were, they were ranked three then. Is that what they were? Five. 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 Okay, so they went they went from one to five, and then they lost to Villanova before they got to Georgetown. But so this was a three game losing streak, and you know they ended up sixteen and four at that time. They ended the season thirty five and five, right? So they went they went nineteen and one the rest of the way. Their only other loss was five overtimes in South Bend. So when you look back at the game, like, you know, Georgetown beat the national champs and yeah, it was low scoring and all those things, but that was, that was huge. That that's, that's just a huge win. I think. Yeah. I also want to say shout out to that Louisville team for after we lose that brutal overtime, Big East tournament semifinal game to, to Syracuse and the last over tournament of the old Big East. Oh yeah. Shout out to Louisville for coming back from a like 15 point deficit to just <laughs> Stick it to Syracuse in that last game, which uh, yes. thank God they won. <laughs> uh, let me also say about this game is anytime you can get a win with Peyton Siva's dad in attendance, it's special. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of talk about Russ Diculus the horse too, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, the the 12 seed uh, in this matchup. So the Louisville win goes up against Georgetown beating Syracuse 79-72 December 2015. This was the game that Jim Beheim couldn't attend. So it was the first time Mike Hopkins made an appearance as the head coach. Um, and this was also our the first time we had played them since losing to them in the 2013 Big East tournament. Uh, it was it was sweet because Bayheim wasn't there. It was sweet because it was Georgetown and Syracuse, and it was just really fun to win this game. Bradley Hayes had 21 points. 
we dominated most of this game. We were up by over 20 and uh, it was, again, it was on a Saturday and it felt really good to be there. It's all right. I mean, the problem is it's up against a lot of other Georgetown Syracuse games. Like if this were an album, this would be one of the filler tracks for me. It's not a, you know, it's, it was an entertaining game, I guess, but among the games in the rivalry, it's forgettable. It's a 12 seed. It's got to matter because they're playing again. But you can never take a Georgetown-Syracuse game for granted, but it's just up against one of the greatest athletic plays Markel Starks has ever seen. And this is a five (laughs) seed that's going to do some damage. Yeah, we'll see. You know, let me, to to bring this conversation full circle a little bit, we talked earlier about uh, uh, Chudy and what he's going to mean to the program. And we also spent a long time talking about Tyler Adams and how fascinating it was to have a recruit come after decommitting from Duke. What is the, what is the common theme running through those two guys? Robert Kirby. Oh, oh boy. Hello. Yeah. Um, I believe he's if, up, if, right? Did, yeah. We saw a tweet that we don't know its validity that he's in the mix for, was it Alabama State? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be I mean, if you told me, if you told me I had to pick a Georgetown assistant to find another place to call home next season, that's not the one I would pick. <laughs> Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to uh, go after any, any of the, the assistants. The only thing I will say though is like in the last, you know, decade of our program, Robert Kirby has done a hell of a job recruiting the South for us. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, he's he's done a really good job. Um, Two of his guys did go away in not great fashion a couple months ago, but for sure, Robert Kirby has been the solid, you know, he went away. I mean, him and him and Brodus, right. Are the two guys that have done a good job and they came back obviously under different circumstances, but those are, if we're ranking, you know, if we're going to do a quick rank Georgetown's recruiting assistance real quick, those guys are at the top, right? Uh, I'd probably put Craig Eshrick at the top. Oh, I mean, I you like. know. It always has to come back to Estrick rehabilitation at the end of these podcasts. We can go home now, guys. We've done I definitely, it. I definitely didn't, didn't, I definitely didn't do enough of Craig Estrick today. But there's, I think we're gonna have a long, a long, uh, a long road ahead of us for these, these uh, podcasts while we're on home, home arrest here. But uh, are we, are we, uh, are we all Craig Estricked out? I think we're good, man. Okay, guys. Well, it's been fun, and hopefully we will be back soon. This has been another episode of Kente Corner. If you don't already, everyone can subscribe. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio. Leave a review. Subscribe. Let us know what you think. John, Howie, it's been a blast. I hate you so much. Love you, Craigers. You hate me?